You can see there was a lot that we saw that we took in. I mean, it you probably heard the, the phrase before, but it literally was like trying to get a drink of water from a wide open fire hydrant. I mean, from six o'clock in the morning every day, we hit the ground running and it was just one thing after another. It's just overwhelming all the information and the sites. And so uh, don't even don't feel like we've even come close to processing and digesting everything. I think that's going to come over the next few weeks and months and everything. But um, one of the things that was humorous, I guess, about it or interesting to see was he talked about how these three main religions exist together. And there's not a lot of... um, like he said, we felt safe. I mean, they're able to do this, we pretty much do it in harmony, although some of them wouldn't prefer it that way. But we did see where they're, each religion, especially the Muslims, though, trying to just kind of stick it to the other ones or one-up each other. There were several examples of this at the Dome on the ro- of the Rock there, that that gold dome building isn't their actual mosque. The mosque is in another place on the Temple Mount. It's just a, a structure built over a bare part of the Uh, Mount Moriah there, but along the top of it in those blue tiles, there's Arabic uh, lettering. And our tour guide told us that that lettering says, God has no son. God has no son. I mean, it's just a direct statement to the Christians who are in the area there. And there's another thing on the eastern side of the wall, the, the scriptures in it, the prophet said that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem through the east gate. And Jesus fulfilled that. That's the gate that he came riding the donkey on um, when he went to Jerusalem to be crucified. Um, of course, like Danny said, the Jews are still looking for the Messiah. They don't believe Jesus was it. And so they're still expecting him to come through the eastern gate. And because of this, Right next to the Mount of Olives, which is across the valley from Jerusalem there, is a major Jewish cemetery. And all the prominent people of the area are the ones that are buried there because, you know, the prophecy says that when the Messiah comes, they expect that the dead are going to be raised to life. And so they want to be right there at the beginning when that happens. They want to be some of the first ones to raise the life when the Messiah comes. Well, the, the Muslims are also aware of this prophecy. And so what they've done, RJ, that first picture, that one I just sent you, this, in the foreground here, this is a Jewish cemetery, and then there's the valley across. And then on across from that, you see all those, looks like another cemetery up against that wall. That's the wall of the eastern side of the Temple Mount, and that's a Muslim cemetery that they put there because they know that the Jewish law says that it would... Uh, uh, you can't walk over a dead person. You, it would be unclean to go into a cemetery. And so them putting their cemetery on the eastern side of the gate right there is their way of blocking the Messiah from being able to come into the city. And so it's just crazy. And you look at that and go, man, they've both missed it. They've both just missed it. Messiah has already come. And um, so that's just one of those things, and one of the things I enjoyed about the trip the most is just the fact that, just the history. I mean, I'm a huge history buff. You know, we think we have history here in the United States. Uh, about a month ago, I was down in Austin for my brother's swearing-in ceremony, and as we're sitting there waiting, this lady walks out with white gloves carrying this book, this old-looking book, and she sets it down on the podium there for the swearing-in, 
And I got to looking at that, and I said, I wonder if that was Sam Houston's Bible. And so I got on Google, and I was sitting there and looked it up, and sure enough, that was Sam Houston's actual personal Bible that they bring out there. And we were just like, oh, my gosh, what a, what a holy Texas relic that is. That was less than 200 years ago. Over there in Israel, that stuff 2,000 years isn't even historical. I mean, you go back way thousands of years B.C. and see stuff that was over there. And so it was just neat. One of the pictures you saw there, just me standing by myself in front of this monument, that was on Mount Carmel where Elijah, you know, the, the God sent the fire down to consume the offering. And then there was the brook down at the bottom of it where he took those 450 prophets of Baal and, and slaughtered them all right there. Um, we got to see um, the caves that the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were found in that just legitimized a lot of the Bible. It was just so from a historical aspect, it was really, really neat. Um, if you're a history buff, you would just absolutely love that part of it. There was one moment in particular that was really kind of powerful for me. It was really one of the only kind of emotional experiences I had. But we took a boat out onto the Sea of Galilee. And we're out there, and it's funny that these uh, tour services, they're pretty good at pandering to evangelical tourists. And so on this boat, they had this Christian music playing over the speakers. And it was some of the cheesiest Christian music you'd ever heard. I mean, we're just going, oh, my gosh, turn this off. This is ruining the experience. And But they're playing it out there, and so we're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and I'm looking out and just thinking, man, this is, this is the water that Jesus walked on. This is where they were when the storm came up, and Jesus said, peace be still, and the, the storm stopped. And I was sitting there looking at that, and out of all these out-of-date, silly-sounding Christian songs, all of a sudden, this new song, Oceans, came on. I'm sitting there listening to that, and I don't know if anybody else on the boat had noticed this, because they were all talking and carrying on, but it was just like, it was just me by myself on that boat, and that first line says, you call me out upon the water, the great unknown where feet may fail. I'm thinking, this is the water that Jesus called Peter out on. And and so I picked up my phone, and I just kind of videoed it, so I'm going to show that, and you can just... This is where those things happen that you're looking out on. We're out in the middle of it right there. pretty neat moment there. We went to all these different places where Jesus was, and it is just mind-blowing how many people just tour after tour after tour. People just 
constantly there going and wanting to see these places Jesus was like the Mount of Beatitudes where he gave the Sermon on the Mount and uh, the the ancient city of Capernaum right there on the Sea of Galilee which was Jesus' hometown served as his base of operations for his three-year ministry the the Garden of Gethsemane which was really neat I mean it was because it is a lot, those trees there, those olive trees were some of the same trees that Jesus would have walked right by. Maybe some that he prayed right there, Father, if there be any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. Because those trees are over 2,000 years old there in that garden. Which, by the way, we were there and we all went by ourselves to, to kind of reflect on, on that spot in that time. And the Muslim call to prayer went out on the speakers all throughout the city. And so we're sitting there thinking, this is where Jesus prayed that prayer. And then at the same time, this eerie, demonic-sounding, just going out, and these speakers all over the city. It was just a surreal moment. Um, then we saw that, and then the place where um, they believe the crucifixion happened and where his, his tomb was, which is right, right close to there. We drove by the city of Bethlehem. And so there were all these places that, that Jesus was. But there's not really, in all those places, nobody can ever say definitively, well, well he stood right here. You know, he, he, he touched this right here. And so like on the Mount of Beatitudes, there's a church up there and everything. And so all you can say is, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount somewhere all over this big hill here. You know, we don't really know exactly where, but it was somewhere up here. Um, There was a couple places, and one in particular, that if there was any spot where you could say Jesus was right there, this was it. One of them was in the ancient city of, of Magdala. Now, this is interesting because for a long time, skeptics of the Bible have said that um, Mary Magdala was a a fictional character, that she didn't exist because nobody has ever discovered the actual town of Magdala. Well, 10 years ago, this rich, actually he's the owner of Corona Beer, of all things, um, wanted to build a hotel here by the Sea of Galilee, and so they started digging and excavating, and they hit something. Anytime you start digging in Jerusalem and you hit something, you got to stop and call the archaeologists, and so they did, and so they kept uncovering and uncovering, and they found the city of Magdala, and so it really exists. There's inscriptions of it on things that they found and everything, but one part in there, RJ, if you'll put that picture up, this is the inside of a synagogue in Magdala. And that square stone right there in the middle was essentially the podium, probably would have set up a little higher, that they would lay the scroll out on and teach from. Um, Matthew 4.23 says that Jesus was going out throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. And so Jesus went into every single town along the Sea of Galilee and taught in their synagogues. Magdala, he was there. It would have been the first village he went into when he came into this into Galilee. And so right there on that dirt floor is one of the few places we could, with a lot of certainty, say Jesus stood right there. And he taught in that synagogue. And I mean, it's amazing. Look at the uh, mosaic tile floor there that is still intact. There was another place too, RJ, if you'll put that picture up. 
This is at the temple in Jerusalem. Those three arches over my shoulder there behind me that are bricked in, those were the three entrances into the temple that Jesus would have taken. They had several entrances to go into the temple mount. There was an entrance reserved specifically for King Herod. There was another entrance that was just for the high priest to go into. There was another one that was for the upper class Jews to go into. Another one that was strictly for Gentiles to go through. But these three arches here, this was the entrance just for the common folk, the common Jews to go into. And this is where Jesus, when he went into the temple, those are the, those are the only place he could have entered. And so those steps right there are the steps that Jesus would have walked up right there to get into it. And so that was, that was pretty neat. Those are the closest things that we came to, to, to knowing that, yes, Jesus was right there. But here's what got to me, kind of just where Lord really spoke to me pretty strong. I had these expectations before we left there that, you know, just thinking about being where Jesus walked and and walking in his footsteps, I mean, I'll just get teary-eyed just thinking about the possibility of doing that. But then I got there and started seeing all those places and walking in his footsteps, and I never did have any big emotional experience. There was no overwhelming sense of of just this incredible, you know, that, that he was there. I mean, it was nothing. And I was just looking around and watching these thousands and thousands of people coming and looking for these places. And I was sitting there and just praying, saying, God, is something going on here that I'm missing? I mean, I feel like this should be a whole lot more powerful than it, than it really is. Well, what's the deal here? And I heard him, just his spirit speaking in the mind so strong. And he said, everyone here is wanting to know where I was, but you know where I am right now. You know where I am right now in you. And it was just amazing. You know, we, we go to these places and people are, are wanting to touch the, these, these relics. We were in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre there is built over the crucifixion and the side of the tomb and, and where the crucifixion, the cross stood, there's this rock there that they believed was at the base of the cross. And Thousands of people stand in a line for hours to go up there and stick their hand through a hole to touch that rock and thinking that they're going to have a special blessing from God because they touched that rock. Over the, where the tomb was, there's this fancy box, this room basically within the church that people just stand in line for hours. We didn't stand in any one of these lines because it was just crazy to go into that just to to be where the tomb was thinking that they're going to be healed or God's going to bless them in some special way. Also in that church, there was this slab of rock here that they believe is where they laid Jesus's dead body to to wrap him in the burial clothes to prepare him for the tomb. And uh, this was a rare instance where there was just one person kissing that rock. Usually that rock was surrounded on all sides by people leaning over and and kissing it just because they think this is going to give me something special here, man. This is going to put me on another level with God. But I want to read you something, a scripture that came to my mind as I was watching all this. It's Colossians 1, starting in verse 25. Paul says this, 
of this stewardship from God, no, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, and this is the preaching, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It was a mystery that was withheld by all the heroes of the Old Testament and, and generations past, but has now been revealed to you and me the miracle that God himself can take up residence within us. He's not on a rock slab. He's not on where he was. He, he's not in that synagogue in Magdala. He, he is nowhere. In the, he is here in us. And that means something, and that should mean something to us. And just seeing all that over there just gave me a greater uh, appreciation of what that means, that it really doesn't matter where he was. What matters is, is where he is right now. That's where it is. Because where he is is, is so much power, more powerful, so much more important. But yes, I mean, being there was good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, seeing those things that we read about in Scripture just is going to help the Scriptures come alive more and give you perspective. I'll give you an example of that. It's in uh, Matthew eighteen six, where Jesus says, Whomever causes one of these little ones to stumble... Um, is better off having a millstone thrown around his neck and thrown into the sea. This is in the city of Capernaum, and uh, that big smooth rock there on the left and the one up on top of the cylindrical black rock, that's a millstone. thing weighs over a ton that they would use to grind the grain on that thing. And the Sea of Galilee is probably 200 yards from that spot. So when Jesus is saying that, he very well could have been referring to that very millstone talking about being thrown into that very sea when he was saying things like that. And so that just kind of puts these things in perspective and shows you what, what Jesus was, was seeing in all of that. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, we plan on at some point taking a group from this church over there because that's how we got to be a part of this was this, this tour agency basically that works with churches on setting up tours over there they had all those pastors going um, to show us how to do it to show us how to put a group together and do all this and so that's why we were able to go at such a great deal because they're expecting us to take groups over there so for those who want to go we're going to do it in the future but I'm going to tell you this right here if you're never able to go to Israel if Christ is in you you have something so much better you have something so much better. Going over there is not going to give you some spiritual mojo more than you have right now. You touching a rock or kissing a rock is not going to do anything more for you if you went out there and kissed the pavement in that parking lot. Nothing is going to change as far as that. Is Jesus in you? You know, I was just thinking about all those laws that the Jews are still following. 
is, is sad. And we are affected by some of those. Um, they take those laws to the extreme and how they start out and how they ended up is weird. Uh, you notice some of the long hair hanging down, you know, from the one little piece on each side. I went up to him and I asked him, and the curiosity was killing me. So I finally asked him and said, what's up with the curls? <laughs> and it was a, a Jew from New York who had actually come over there. He's practices it there. And he says, it's from the law that says a man is not supposed to cut his hair uh, shorter than a certain length. And he said, so as long as we grow these two pieces, it shows that we are honoring that law, but we can cut all the rest of it off. And so it's just taking some liberty with that, which let me tell you this, that particular law that he is referring to is just before the law that says you can't get a tattoo. And so those are the all that say you can't get a tattoo because the Bible says you can't. Well, you got to back up and not cut your hair too, if that's what you're going to follow. I mean, if you're going to follow one, you better follow them all. But anyway, he, he was talking about that. And then the hotels we were staying in were kosher hotels. And so this, this dietary law affected us because there's a law in the Old Testament that says you do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. Okay, simple. Easy. Well, just don't boil up a goat in the milk. No, they got to take it further than that because to them, you cannot have meat and dairy products near each other at all. And so if there's a meal served with dairy, there won't be meat with it. If there's a meal served with meat, there won't be dairy. So with breakfast time was for dairy and we got no bacon, no sausage, no nothing like that, no steak and eggs. It was just dairy stuff. Somehow fish doesn't count as a meat. So we got to eat fish during breakfast, but it wasn't cold fried crappie, so it's, it was different. <laughs> That's good for breakfast. In the evening time, there was meat, but you had no milk, no dairy, no nothing like that. And so they, they even had different, they had a kitchen for meat stuff and a kitchen for dairy stuff because they couldn't get those two together just because the law said, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. It was crazy. In our, those kosher hotels, there's an elevator called the Shabbat, which is a Hebrew word for Sabbath, elevator. There's a law that says you can't make a fire on the Sabbath. And so they take this law to the extreme and say they can't push elevator buttons on the Sabbath because that causes a spark, which could be defined as starting a fire. And so the Shabbat elevator, you don't want to get on it when it's running because it stops on every single floor going up and coming down so that nobody has to push a button. They just sit there and wait till their floor comes up and then they can get off. Tell you what, folks, that's bondage. Thinking that doing all that is going to gain you any favor and any leverage with God. I'm so glad that the mystery that has been hidden from some has been revealed to us. It's Christ in you. And I hope, that's, if there's anything I want you to take away this morning, it's that. That Christ is in you. And it means something. You know, it irritates me when somebody says, well, you better not, you better not cuss in the church building. No, nobody would ever drink in the church parking lot. You wouldn't lie in God's house, you know. And it, there is nothing holy about this building. The holy part is what is in you. And Christ in you. 
It doesn't matter if those things going on up here. It, when you go out, when you're alone, the presence of God is there. Think about those things there. Because once we leave here, the presence of God is gone. Because we are it. There is a group in Israel that is still looking for and trying to make happen the building of the third temple. You know what? The third temple has already been built. We are it. Paul says our bodies, we are the temple of God now. We house the presence of God that used to reside in the Holy of Holies, but now it resides in us, and that means something. And so our lives should show that, that the presence of God lives in us. That was our experience. Like I said, we could be up here all day just talking about things, but um, like I said, some of it's going to just be processed and some will come out, you know, as in some of the sermons as I teach and all that. But I just want to encourage y'all, just if God is saying anything to us, it's just keep in mind that I'm there. Where I am now is more important than where I was. And there may be some of you in here today, you know, you never can say that you got that feeling that you know that Jesus is in you. He may still be this distant figure that you're trying to reach, just like the Jews and the Muslims. That God is not a personal God to them. He's some deity that is out there that they are trying to make happy enough to accept them. If that's you in here this morning, I'm telling you, there's something better. You don't have to live that way anymore. He can become personal and come take up residence inside of you. And if you're there saying, I don't know if I can say that. He still seems like this distant being. Come down when we have a time of ministry in a minute. And I'll tell you how that can change today. And your eyes will be open to what so many are still blinded to. But I'm going to pray. And after I do, we're going to have a time of ministry. If there's prayer needs that you have, then we'll just want to give opportunity to do that. To be the church to one another. And we're going to continue worshiping Jesus for who he is even more. So, uh. Let's pray and just let God do what he wants to do. God, I thank you that you have opened our eyes to see the truth, to see you. Lord, that you have revealed to us the great mystery that has been hidden from so many, that we have the chance to have Christ in us. God, we are unholy creatures that, that are um, too unclean for your presence to even be in, which shows, God, that you did a lot to make us clean that you're the one that did it. You cleaned us up so that your presence could come reside in us. Lord, I pray that that truth would come alive to so many in here. Lord, if there is someone in here that says, I don't know if he is in me. He just still seems like this distant thing that I'm still trying to, to make happy, to try to not mess up in front of. Lord, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to him this morning in a way that, God, you become personal. You become the power inside of them that enables them to live life and that is so different from the rest of the world. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to go on the other side of the world across the Atlantic Sea to experience you, to be near you. God, you are right here with us. You're right here in us. Lord, show us what that means. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand and worship.